Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, big money CJ. One half of the Cat Boys, as you know, we're both wearing ball caps, uh, as uh, we normally do a lot on uh, these episodes. Before we get to all the Edmonton Oilers stuff, and GM stuff, and Kale McCarr, I want to talk about him too. And we have to talk about some stick taps because there are some people deserving of stick taps this week. I have this question for you. It yep. has been in my mind, and I've thought about it all week, and I, and I have the opportunity to ask you this right now. What are your thoughts on Wes McCauley, the referee? He's awesome. I mean, okay. first of all... <laughs> He's a great referee. Like he's, you know, if you talk to people around the game, I'd say universally respected or as respected as someone could be in that job, because that's one of those thankless jobs. You know, we don't know a lot of the referees nowadays. I mean, by design, right. You know, many, many years ago, the NHL switched to numbers on their backs instead of name bars. And it's a bit of an anonymous profession. I think it's a difficult profession. We're only talking with the referees generally when something bad happens or calls missed or something like that. But Wes McCauley manages to still have that personality the way he's, you know, using using his microphone to announce uh, penalties or, or what have you or reviews and brings lots of energy and, and is a great referee. So, you know, I don't know him personally. You know, I think I've met him in passing a couple of times over the years, but um, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I think like in a weird way, I, I wouldn't mind a world actually where the referees had more where we knew them better, honestly, like. I don't, I don't see the downside of that. I guess there's some downside maybe for their families or something that I'm not contemplating here because we know fans can be quite unhinged. Um, you know, but like Kerry Fraser, this is predating your time, but, you know, he was a personality, had the quaff there. Yes. And, you know, he was on the other end of a, a missed high sticking call in game six of a third round series between the Leafs. Leafs fans are very upset about Kerry Fraser. <laughs> he is and public no one, enemy number one. You know, that was 27 years ago, 29 years ago, almost. And no one stopped talking about it in Toronto, like like among Leafs fans. I mean, so and and Kerry's had to answer questions about that. So, like, I'd actually before I go any further, I should probably ask Kerry, like, well, how he feels about that. Like, was it good for him that people knew him? But then when it goes the wrong way and you're part of something like that, I, I just think it adds a little bit of flavor to the game. Um, I mean, we're all characters in a play when you think about it. Right. Like he, like what sports is, is it's, it's pure entertainment. I mean, there's, there's a lot more levels to it than that. 
But, you know, like when we're covering, you know, stories, Julian, for you, for the athletic or when I'm running as a star, I mean, we're, we're talking about the characters in a play that make it interesting and, and what their roles are and the twists and turns. And like the referees are part of that. Um, but the league, you know, it's, it's one of the few leagues where there's no opportunity to speak to them. This has often been a, a touch point. It happens during the playoffs. Like there's been a few times over the years where something really controversial has happened in a playoff game. And obviously the stakes of that are quite high. And then they've made the referee available to like an NHL.com reporter who's essentially an NHL employee versus, you know, any of the independent media. And it's a bit of a, it's been a tension point at times over the years, but um, you know, I think it's good that when you got a Wes McCauley who seems to embrace it and like it and is really good at his job. And so uh, I didn't, that's a curveball out of the gate from you, but I had thought this through. I love the fact that it went to that point because I I want I could talk about referees all day. I will make the point all the, I make the point all the time in major league soccer in I and I've been in those press rows before where it's happened. If a controversial decision happens, a re- referee is available and there's like a pool reporter among the reporters in the box who they they yeah, talk yeah. to some of the other reporters, they get the questions. I'll just explain for people who don't understand, but they take questions from other reporters and they come up with like two or three that they're able to ask a referee to figure out, okay, why did this happen like this? And I've, I've heard some colleagues say like, oh, it's not necessarily the best thing. It's still better than what is out there for the National Hockey League. And it blows my mind that a league like Major League Soccer, which we do not consider as part of the big four North American professional sporting leagues, has this opportunity, but the NHL does not. Well, I, I can almost one up you here. There was a game, a baseball game in Detroit a few years ago where there's literally an obvious blown call that the cost the pitcher either a perfect game or, or no hitter. Like perfect I think it was game. like with two out in the ninth, like an obvious blown call. And that umpire that made that call, Jim Joyce you know, spoke to reporters or a pool reporter, you know, because the flip side of this, of course, is that everyone that wears the stripes or, or is in charge of managing these games is a human. Like there's, there's, there's actually a human story to the umpire who blows that moment too. And what's interesting about that, Jim Joyce, I wish I could remember the name of the pitcher is I'm pretty sure those guys became friends. Like, I believe it, like actually linked them. Like they're kind of linked by this weird moment, you know, probably the the low moment of Jim Joyce's career, you know, you would argue and, and the umpire. And I don't know how the pitcher would view that. I mean, it's kind of a, he still got to basically had a perfect game, but it doesn't go down in history as one. Anyway, there's a, there's a human side to it. And I think, I, I see sports on two levels, Julian. Like I like there are people who love the X's and O's, of course, right? And like analytics has brought so much of a different flavored discussion to how we view the games, how we view the, how the teams are built, the decisions that are made. Like, and I love that. And people, lots of people love that. And and even you know people like myself, I'm into the nuances of the salary cap and you mm-hmm. know decisions made on contracts. Like I think that all actually enriches your viewing of the sport. But then there's the human side, right? And when a guy goes from you know, not just a player who wears number 20 on your favorite team. And you learn that number 20, you know, maybe has overcome cancer and, and come back or, or come through some difficult time in his life or, you know, what we're seeing this year more and more in hockey where, you know, players are battling anxiety or, or substance use issues or things like that. And they're willing to talk about it. And then they come back and they, they like, I think that that adds to the game too. Like the human people, People want to hear human stories, right? It's it's what yeah. reality TV is. I mean, sports is reality TV for people who like sports. And reality TV is, you know, people are into other things. Romance, like you with your Bachelorette viewings. Hey, that, <laughs> uh, that, that, that ends up being more of a self-care thing than anything. Just right. A way and I'm not making just, fun like, of it. Sports. 
I but appreciate that. You love, but what I'm saying is you love the human side of it, right? You can connect to it on some level and, and it, it maybe makes you view your life in a certain way. It maybe just makes you laugh or just appreciate it, whatever. Um, so I, I, this is one of the things like now I'm way off topic. I said what I said, like we had our, our say on COVID and the lockdowns last episode. I have we to did. say before I go any further, I am totally floored by the response we got to that. Me too. Like my, my DMs were full of like really, really heartfelt, thoughtful messages. And, you know, like the, it reminds me of kind of like the power of our, our platform here. And it's cool that we can connect with people that way. And so I don't need to comment any further on, on that, that thing. But, you know, what are we all doing here, I guess, is the point, right? Like we're all we're all just trying to understand our lives. We're trying to understand each other. And I just think the more the leagues can allow those stories to be told, whether it is an official or players, like I, I don't see really how it's a bad thing. I think like the amount of bad stories that come out is like this much of a huge pool of great stories and amazing uplifting stories. And so that's one of the things that's got me down about COVID. And this is actually no shot at the leagues or the teams or the players or anyone, but we just can't tell those stories with near the same effect because we can't can't get close enough to each other and have a conversation enough. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know how long this is going to go on. I don't know what this is going to look like on the other side, but man, I hope we get back to a time when we can tell great stories about the, the people that play these games and that make up these leagues and that allow this to happen because like the games are one thing, but I think the people, people really resonate to the stories and, and all the, 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 the layers beneath the games themselves. So Wes McCauley would be one of those characters. You would eventually be love to be in a position to have their story told. Sure. And, and I, and, and I also think like if we could get to know more of the referees, it'd be great. And look, like we have this great moment coming, like it's, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much you paid attention, but finally there's, there's female officials that basically yes. at every oh. level below the NHL that are getting opportunities, you know, they've done games, in the American hockey league, Ontario hockey league, what have you. I mean, clearly what's coming is eventually we're going to have it be normalized that female officials are in the NHL. I mean, those are stories that should be told too. Right. I mean, like, I mean, it's obvious why that would have value, but you know, it's not to say some of the male officials that are out there, I, you know, honestly, it's my job to cover this league and I don't know very many of them. And I don't know very many of how they got there or what their backgrounds are, but I, you know, I, I think that there could be good stories there. And, and, I know it's it's most fans only think of the official as the guy they're just yelling at, at least when they're allowed to go to a game, when they when they don't like a call made on the ice or, or what have you. But, you know, I, I think that I do think the human side of the game is important in the sport. And I think it's going to be more important than ever, honestly, coming. I, don't, I, I hate saying coming out of this. Like, I don't know if we'll ever be out of this. Like, I don't know if this is just going to be like evolutions of what our normal is. But, I, you know, I think these sports have to start thinking about selling themselves and if i was in charge i'd be finding more ways to to tell the stories of the people because i think i think ultimately when you boil it all down all the shit but we just want to know about people we want to understand ourselves we want to understand other people and i think that's where the power of what we do is I only brought up Wes McCauley as like a fun like opener because Steve Dangle, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to get why people like Wes McCauley as much as they do. And I think he's trying to make the point that Is Steve Dangle the Grinch. 
I think here's the point I think he was trying to make to his defense. He was trying to make the point that because personalities in the NHL are not nearly as pronounced for so many of the athletes compared to other leagues, the fact that Wes McCauley, a referee among the many referees in the National Hockey League, is a personality that stands out is very like... Like the bar is set very low for that. And I think he's trying to just like call that out and be like, like, what are we doing? But also at the same time, like whether or not the personalities would be, would be great or not. Like, I, I think it's kind of funny to see a guy like Wes McCauley, you know, announce that two guys are going to the box for fighting or just make it seem like he's like a guy in Mortal Kombat. Like, I think that's kind of it's like a small, like funny thing. Like, we don't have to make him like the king of everything. Like he's not on Gritty's level. Or whatever, but like no. it's like a fun, it's a it's a fun thing, and I like and I love the fact that you took that into the next step, which is you know it'd be great to know more about, and I'm sure people have done it, but I'd, I'd love to read a feature about why Wes McCauley has the personality that he has, but of course because of COVID, we're in the situation that we're in right now, where it's not nearly as easy to be able to like meet with people in person to tell those stories. I know we went in on that topic just a little bit in the last episode, but like. That's a genuine point. Like, I would love to read about Wes McCauley, and I know you'd be on top of that. Well, here's the truth. So, like, let's say when a player really screws up in a game, like, I think it's easier. It's easier to see them in a fuller picture if you kind of know them. Like, and so you don't you don't make your whole story or your whole analysis on like (laughs) this screw up. Like, there might be reasons for the screw up, just as like when something great happens, there's. There could be reasons for that. I'll give you like a really random story. And this is going way back. Go ahead. Go ahead. But like this just just jumps to my mind. And this is where like I think where our job can can make it interesting for the fans. So the 2013 Leafs Bruins series, which is the one that ended with the 4-1 game seven, blah, 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 blah. But before that happened, the the Leafs go to Boston for game one. They they lose and it was pretty one-sided. And there was two days between game one and game two, which is a little unusual. And the Leafs practiced at one of the local college rinks. And, I, and so Clark MacArthur, who was a regular member of the team, got scratched in game one, I believe, or scratched or benched. Either way, you know, not what you'd expect. And then I go to I get to practice early and like I see him in the stands with the, the team psychologist like before practice. And like this is like an hour long chat. Like, I mean, it was a long chat. And so the morning skate before game two, I just went up to him and said, hey, I saw you talking to Dana you know, what's that about? And he like explained that he was dealing with all like this doubt and he's like, and, but I'm going to score tonight. And I think I have the details of this, right? I have most of this is right. It, it might've been later in the series. He told me he was going to score tonight. That's the only thing I'm doubting here. But then he scored that night. And then like, I went to him after the game and like, like, like you get a full, you can then tell a nice story about this guy who's been dealing with whatever he was dealing with. Like, it's not just that he scored a goal, right? It's like, he's working through his problems and he's willing to share that. And like, like to me, like I love knowing that kind of story, you know, and like I get that not everyone's open to sharing it. But, you know, we saw a goal the other night. I, I don't know if you saw this. Nikolai Ehlers scored into an empty net and he started crying on the bench. He kissed his stick. He started crying on the bench. And like, again, I, I don't know the story there. And maybe it's something he wouldn't be comfortable sharing. But clearly there's a story behind that. There's some there's, yeah. you know, people don't barely even celebrate empty net goals, let alone be reduced to tears on the bench. But if he was ever if in a position to share that story, I'm sure, again, it just adds, it tells us something about these guys. They're not just numbers in your team's laundry. You know, they're not just like, they're not even just guys we talk about on this pod going like, oh, he's amazing. He made this awesome move. Like there's like a lot of human 
uh, stuff behind them. And I, you know, you know, I'm, I, I, part of this is selfish, right? Cause I, those are the stories I like to tell. It's, it's what it actually, what makes me interested in my job is to try to get to know the, the characters in the game as well as we possibly can. You know, I still get that it's some of it's surface level. Cause you, even in the old days, you're just talking to them in a dressing room for 15 minutes at a time. You're, you're not really part of their life, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so far off topic. I can't even like, you could give me no, Google no. and a GPS here and I can't get back to where you want me to, but, um, that's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. I, 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 I could, I could take this from here. Here's what I'll say though. Uh, I think the fact that we were able to go in on this topic and explain why it's so important for us reporters to be able to, you know, do our jobs correctly in terms of being there in person that Clark MacArthur example, that can't happen on Zoom. You know what I'm saying? Like that cannot no. happen there. So I'm I'm really glad that you were able to explain that because there may be people who don't necessarily understand uh, why that is. Um, for anyone, uh, for anyone who, yeah, did, like, because I know there's some young aspiring maybe reporters out there. Like for me, what I miss most is actually the morning skate access to the players. And so this is my view of it. Practice days you know, practice days are, are shorter days for the players. Right. And it's like, there's that's usually the day between either they're traveling somewhere or they've played a game the night before with, you know, the game days are long. And so I find you, you can obviously have a nice conversation on a practice day, but you know, often that's like the day that guys have to deal with their personal, like do their banking or go to the dentist or get groceries, you know, like that's, so it's like a shorter work day. And so sometimes I find that players aren't as engaged work in those days after the practice. But morning skate, all guys are doing the rest of their day is like they're like going to go home quickly and nap, like eat, nap, and then come back to the rink at like four o'clock. Like basically they're not in as much of a rush. The other cool thing is, you know, some players stay out for five minutes at a morning skate. Some guys stay out for 25 minutes. And so like they open the dressing room and basically the whole room's there. And I found that you could always have a short discussion at minimum. It's not like all like Barbara Walters style Oprah, you know, come over to the couch and bear your soul to me. But I, it was always a good opportunity to have a bunch of short conversations with players. And if there's something you've seen in a game, like you could bring it up, like, Hey, I noticed you did that the other night. Like, what was that about? And like, I always found that the most valuable. And then after a game, it gives some great clips, but it, after a game is next to useless because players or coaches or whatever are so emotional generally, like you're, it's hard to go in on something, right? Like basically you're like, Hey, you screwed up. Why yeah. did you screw up? And then it's just like, Oh, I screwed up because everything sucked. Like, I just find like, it's, it's hard to really dig in on anything. And then like the other classic is like, well, tell me about this goal you scored. And, and like, okay, some guys do a really good job of explaining what they're thinking, but you know, the truth is, is some elite athletes, like literally it's instinctual. It's almost, I mean, he, he, for him, it's like explaining, like, if you're a, you know, a great artist, like how you painted something, like some, some people can explain that other people, it's just like literally like this gift that, that they, it's hard to put words to. And so I, anyway, I really miss the morning skate acts. First of all, the morning skate too, there's like the buzz of the game, right? Like that's, if I could, if they said like, you can only get back one of the things you used to have, it would be that we could be around the players in the morning skate and really chat with them. And that's, I think that's where you can start to pull out some, some threads for great stories. And anyway, you know, I, I used to walk to break- uphill both ways in the snow to school as well. <laughs> <laughs> 50 miles. Oh, old man, CJ. I remember when. Oh, okay. I wanted to actually talk about a story you wrote uh, earlier this week, which you could read yeah. on the Toronto Star. 
too much of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl might be a bad thing for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, why did you write that? And did last night, well, we're doing this on Thursday, so we're referencing the Edmonton Oilers loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs on Wednesday night. Did that game ultimately prove your point from the headline? Well, it it wasn't a foolproof, right? Because Connor McDavid entered COVID protocol and wasn't in the game. But Leon Dreisaitl did play nearly 25 minutes in the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about Kale McCarr later. I mean, Kale McCarr is having his fantastic season as a defenseman. And I know he, yes. what makes him special, he's such a great skater and he does roam in areas that a defenseman typically doesn't. But Kale McCarr is averaging 24 minutes a game this season. So my point is, Leon Dreisaitl as a forward, as a center, someone who covers the entire ice, who kills penalties, you know, who, who's playing in every game state is playing more than a defenseman in a lot of cases. And look, I have to be clear because I think there's the problem with headlines or someone who maybe reads a snapshot of that story. I think they it's easy to misunderstand the point. The point, first of all, is not to play, lay any blame at those players' skates, like whatsoever. It's not critical of their performance in the least. I think the, the point I was trying to make is that it says bad things about their organization that for the last six seasons – essentially that's been the case. I mean, there's a couple exceptions along the way, but essentially those two have been at the top of forward ice time for six straight years. And look at all they've done during that time is fill their, their trophy cabinets. Like they're, they're winning rocket Richards in, in dry settles case, or, you know, hearts and, and scoring titles, art rights trophies for Connor McDavid. Like those guys are, are doing with those minutes, what you'd want. But I do think there, there's a diminishing return to, you're getting the points from them, but you know, what are we still talking about for that team to break through and have playoff success? And so, you know, the reason I wrote the story is there's, you know, there's some talk behind the scenes about that, that, you know, one of the problems in Edmonton isn't that those players are underperforming, but it's that they don't have enough guys lower down in the lineup to maybe just take some of the burden off them. You know, when it, when it gets to a must win game, absolutely play the wheels off them. But you want them to be fresh or as fresh as can be when you get there. And we're still only like just, you know, low third. There's 40 odd games left in the season. Mm-hmm. The Oilers are leaking oil everywhere. And those players in this stretch where they've won two of 13 games, if you look at it, like they're still performing like guys who will win a scoring title, but they're not, they're not as crazy as it was before that point. And again, I'm not blaming them, but it just shows how much is being asked of them for the Oilers to have success. Like, I think it's really a criticism of the organization that they haven't found a way to, to be able to win games, you know, when those guys maybe are scaled back a bit. And, you know, it's easy to make a comparison to the Leafs because the Leafs have some high-end players. They played them in that game. You know, Toronto's playing Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner about two minutes less a night, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot over how often games are played. And the Leafs have won some games recently, even games where they scored a lot of goals where, Austin Matthews didn't score or Marner had one assist. Like it's, it's not their entire operation. hasn't been reliant on, I mean, those guys win them a ton of games. Don't get me wrong, but for sure it's, they have more down the lineup where they can spread things around deeper. And I think that's where Edmonton has to get to and quick. I, I, you know, I don't think they can do it this season, but they, you know, they're, and you know, the other side of Edmonton's story, and it would be unfair to go this deep on it and not point it out. They've had horrendous injury luck, which happens. You know, they've had bad COVID luck, I would say, in the sense that it seems like they have three players on the COVID list at any one time, but they've never had it, you know, and again, I'm not being crass about this, but if if everyone on their team is going to get it, which it kind of seems like, 
you'd rather almost have it all at once because then you get shut down and then you return basically where everyone can play. They're, they're missing three and four guys every week, but then it's a different three or four guys the next week. And so they're, 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 they're forever playing shorthanded because of COVID, you know, whereas a team like Toronto has, I think 21 or 22 members of their traveling party slash players all get it in a week window. They, they never had to play a game with, with all those guys out. And now they don't get tested for 90 days. Like they, they're on a good end of the competitive end, you know, whereas, you know, all of a sudden it's Derek Ryan and Connor McDavid, two of their four centers and Tyson Berry, you know, one of their top defensemen out, you know, for the game on Wednesday. And so anyway, they've had some bad luck in there. They're not getting enough saves. I mean, this is, it's actually crazy. So I'm not saying this is the only problem for Edmonton. I'm not saying this is why they've gone into this tail slide, but I think it's an interesting way to look at their season that, you know, I think they need to get to a point organizationally where they lean on those guys a little less during the year, try to save them for the end of the season as much as possible, you know, and try to build a deeper team. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, teams like Tampa had all kinds of weapons, right? But their third line in those last two cups was undeniably a huge factor in that, um, you know, with Coleman, Goodrow and, and Gord. And so Edmonton, I mean, I'm not saying you can mimic that exact third line, but you need a third line. And I, I just feel like part of the reason Edmonton hasn't added is because of these injuries. So they haven't had the full complement of forwards, but I think they also need to do a better job of building a team out. And then because you get in these moments and so much is being asked to drive Sonny McDavid, like they have to be tired. They have to be feeling a, a different degree of pressure. I mean, pressure's on every athlete in the sport, but of course they understand, like if they're not getting two points each night, like the team isn't winning. It's just, it, it's almost a fact Like you look at the start of the year, like Edmonton was insane. They never lost, but those guys were literally averaging two points a game. And now they're averaging like one or 0.9 or whatever during this, this run. And it's just not enough. And the crazy thing about their stretch where they've been losing all this, they're not getting blown out. They're not losing games seven to one like this. That's the, the flip side of this, not maybe being a full panic situation. Like it's they're losing in the margins. And I think that's tough on those guys. And, you know, I don't, actually don't even put this on Dave Tippett. Like, I think if you're in Dave Tippett's shoes and you look down your bench, yeah, you're throwing 97 and 29 on the ice, like absolutely every minute you can, because that's probably better than the next options in your mind. But um, man, but if you're Dave Tippett, but if you're Dave Tippett, are you going at Miko Koskinen, which is actually a good segue to the next point I wanted to get at with, he's been in the news, obviously with what he's been, what he's been saying about Miko Koskinen after the Monday night game uh, against yeah. the Rangers where it, you know, he said he had some bad goaltending and mentioned the brutal mistake where he mishandled the puck. Ten the goal, Dangle would say. So many people would say he did not do that, and it resulted in a goal against. What do you think of the fact that he's put himself out there with the comments on Miko Koskinen and the back and forth that's ensued since? I'm really draw- I'm split on this one, Julian, because like I love honesty, and you know what he said. Other than that, we all blow it up for two days. Like it's not untrue. Like literally they have a good start in a game. They need to win at Madison square garden and the goalie coughs up a goal right away. And and this is a team, I think it was like 20 of 24 games that given up the first goal. Like they feel like they're down one, nothing before the opening face off this team. And so, and then all of a sudden they're down one, nothing after a good five minutes or whatever it was in that game. And so I get the, I want to praise the honesty and I love that, but it does only add fire to a very volatile situation, right? Because then the next day, of pra- then they fly to Toronto. The next day of practice, he's asked about it. Then Miko yeah. Koskinen does an interview with Tommy Seppla in Finland 
and said, it's not nice to be, you know, have the bus backed over you. And, you know, they've only scored seven goals in the six, my last six losses, and I can't score goals. And so now it looks like Koskinen's calling out his teammates. I'm not sure that was his intent, but I think he's probably trying to provide more nuance or facts around what's gone on. Then Dave Tippett, you know, I actually asked him before Wednesday's game at the morning skate about, you know, Koskinen's comments. And then he's like, well, I was taken out of context. It becomes this whole thing that at a time, at a time when you so badly need to win, when the best player on the planet goes into COVID protocol, like your team is friggin' reeling. And I, I just think it, it becomes an unnecessary distraction. But I don't want to hammer them too much because, man, like I'm in there asking those questions just like you. Like I want real answers. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's better than all the times we get lied to, which is frequent in this job. Although I said last time. Anyway. But there's like maybe not outright lies, but there's like a lot of misdirection or whatever. Small side note here, not to break you off here. Just 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 want to clarify something. So were you the one who actually asked the question that led to Dave Tippett saying the quotes were taken out of context? Yeah. Okay. So that was your voice. Because I, I listened back to that audio and I'm like, I wonder if that's CJ. Anyway, go ahead. My bad. Yeah. I, sorry. I just want to clarify that. Well, I'll, I'll even tell you how the sausage was made there. I was at the morning skate, of course, before the Leafs Oilers game. And, you know, because there's no traveling media... Because the Koskinen story in in Finland came out about an hour before the morning skate, give or take. Right. Like, that's what it came online. And so, you know, it was pretty juicy quote from Miko Koskinen in there. <laughs> and no traveling media from Edmonton. And obviously, the Toronto media is largely focused on what's going on with the Maple Leafs. There was some concern maybe that no one would pick up on that from the Edmonton angle and, and ask what would be an obvious question if there were Oilers media around. And so TSN, well, someone at TSN gave me a call and said, make sure that gets asked. So, I mean, I was comfortable doing that, of course. I mean, it's it's a fair question on that that day. So I, uh, I made sure it got asked. And and yeah, he basically said, I feel like my quote was taken out of context. I was asked by the reporter about the start of that game in New York. I said it was a bad play or whatever the exact quote was. And he said, Koskinen actually made some good saves down a stretch. And like, you know, he's, he's trying to smooth it out at that point. Uh, and I'm sure the damage was done you know the oilers only now play one game in 14 days i don't know if you realize that i did not realize that they got one game against ottawa uh for the next two weeks i mean it's i guess it's possible i don't have any info on this but maybe something gets rescheduled because they're a team that's had a number of games postponed so maybe they end up playing more than that but as of right now they're playing one and 14 so you know there's no goalie controversy because i mean koskinen probably isn't starting that game assuming mike smith's healthy uh, and then, you know, we're going to be into February before there's even a start. So maybe, maybe at least now there's time for things to settle. The downside of that, Edmonton has no opportunities to pick up points for 14 days, essentially. And so they're almost certainly going to be out of a playoff spot by the time we get into February. And then they're really going to be chasing it. It's going to, it's a fascinating situation. Like this is the most urgent situation in the league right now, because that is a team that can't miss the playoffs. I still don't think they're going to miss the playoffs, honestly, but like, you know, I think sometimes we're too quick to panic. This is this is this is like where you like take the glass case off and you are smashing that panic button. If uh, you're uh, uh, like, uh, uh. like they got to make a trade, they got to do something. I mean, I I think that you can't just be like this is going to sort itself out. I mean, they tried to do that. I respect it. Again, like they lost two of the games on this five game road trip after Christmas. You know, in in extra time essentially, so they got a loser point. But like they could have obviously won those games. Like even the Toronto games, two two in the third period, they lose four two with an empty net goal and a power play goal against. Like they're close, 
it's not like they're being embarrassed. And that was a game they played without McDavid and all this stuff. But you got to get some wins or else, man, or else. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. Dun, dun, so, what, so, what, did, what can the Oilers do, though? Like, I mean, they, they don't have that much in terms of cap space. I know we've brought up the fact that there are goalies out there for him to get. We've mentioned the defense that needs some help as, as well. And there are options there, too. I'm just curious what Ken Holland can actually do with the situation at hand. Like, what, what do you think he'd have to do in order to improve his team? Well, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, we've talked about him in Edmonton a long time. Like, I think there's some, there could be some nervousness on the Oilers' end of things with him just because he's an older goalie as Mike Smith is just about having, yes. you know, just some of that unpredictability about that. Um, you know, he's, and you know, I don't know for sure that Mark Henry Fleury, who has a no move clause would waive his no move to go to Edmonton, maybe especially among these circumstances, maybe Adam Wilde can ask the agent provocateur at some point. <laughs> provocateur. Although I'm guessing that Alan doesn't want to share his client's private business on his podcast. Yeah, that's um, a very fair point. But, you know, I think that he's sort of the most obvious candidate here. Like, cause how many good goaltenders or great goaltenders would ever be traded at this point in the season? Like there's just not very many. There's lots of great goaltenders around the league. Those teams aren't trading them even for a haul. You know, I think getting a goaltender, like stabilizing that position would be a big first step. And that's not the place all the losing on the goalie, but I feel like that's, that's, that's where a situation where you can make one move that makes a tangible difference, like immediately. Um, you know, they're also looking for a third line center. I don't know who that player is. I'm not sure that player is coming through the door in two weeks, but, but even if they get that guy in a trade next week, just for argument's sake, I don't know that he, I think over time, that's a move that will pay off, but I'm not sure that pays off in terms of winning games right now, reversing this slide. And so I think if there's something that could be done in net, that's, that's where you start. And then, of course, the other button that we touched on is, is do you fire the coach? I mean, that's the other one move you could make that might have a tangible change in the mood around the team or deployment or what have you. Um, but beyond that, man, I mean, you're just hoping. You're just, you just hope the guys figure it out. I mean, maybe only having one game in 14 days could be a good thing. That's true. Like uh, just a chance to refresh, get healthy, clear the minds. Maybe they'll start fighting back against the media. I don't know. Like they need to, but they need to rally around some cause here, right? And maybe it's that. This doesn't normally happen when we're recording, but uh, news has broken. Uh, the Providence Bruins have signed Tuka Rask to a professional tryout agreement. He's been skating with the Bruins for the better part of the last how many weeks, and the Bruins have made it official. They have found a way to bring him back into the full this this literally just broke like a couple minutes ago uh, i don't know if you instant analysis from our chris johnston on tuka rask uh signing a pto uh with the providence bruins the well, I, I mean, ahl I, affiliate i followed the story and been in touch with the people that would know what's going on um you know it, it, look it, it's just a sign that tuka rask doesn't want to play anywhere else i mean we're it's perfect timing i mean if edmonton needs a goalie if he if Tuca was in a position where he was willing to sign with another team, why not him? Like you know that that would be there would be worse ideas for getting all Nav. But you know Tuca Tuca stayed living in Boston. He's been he's drafted by the Leafs, but never played for the Leafs. He's been a lifelong Bruin, um, and he stayed living in Boston this whole time. He was working out at their their practice facility as he was rehabbing from his hip surgery in the summer. I mean, it's pretty clear. I guess if there was a world where the Bruins got to this stage of the season and didn't want to sign him. He would probably sign somewhere else, but it's been pretty clear his preference has been to remain a Bruin. This is the first step to getting back there. 
Um, you know, obviously allows them to play games for Providence, practice formally with the with the the P Bruins. And, you know, at some point he's, and I don't think it'll be too long, probably next week, he's going to get an NHL contract with Boston. And, you know, it's big ad for the Bruins. Like the, the Bruins probably aren't as, they're, they're probably not as top tier contender as they've been for a number of seasons, but I still think they're kind of hanging around there if certain things fall into place. Like it's been a strange year for them. Uh, they got off to a slow start. They had no games, like the way the scheduling worked, they were just, they were like one of those teams that hadn't played any games in October, barely compared to everyone else. And they just, I don't think they found the right rhythm. They've had injuries and the whole thing, but they're still like, they're making the playoffs and, you know, Lena Solmark, who they signed in the off season to a decent ticket as a goaltender, like had a slow start, but he's come around. I know they really like Jeremy Swayman. They're, you know, a young goaltender in their sort their organization. And now they got Rask. I mean, you know, we're talking about Edmonton not having enough goaltending. Like that's going to be an embarrassment of riches for them. It's just about, I guess, finding the right reps for everyone and have that situation work out well. But yeah, Tuka Rask will be back in the NHL this year. It's a cool story. You know, at some point, I think it was a pretty significant hip surgery he had torn labrum, was it? Um, and you know, at his age, I, I think when he went through that procedure, he wasn't 100 percent sure if he'd play again after, just depending on how he felt and all that. So you know, happy to see him continue on and be uh could be a cool story if they if the Bruins kind of have one of these Cinderella runs at a point where no one's talking them up as a contender so you mean it's so if the Bruins end up in the playoffs and I don't know how they would make it work but what if they end up in like a wild card spot and they go up against the Leafs who are you know maybe a division champion Jeez, uh, you know I'm not even going to ask that question. Well, just, I feel it, I just assume fence. it's going to happen. I just, just assume. <laughs> like I don't know. Oh, I, haven't looked, I haven't studied the standings and look at. There's still like more than half a season to play. Oh yeah. So like, it's almost pointless to study. But I just I assume that's how the universe is going to play this out. I mean, you know, <laughs> it just feels like every year it's Leafs Bruins. So, and I know it's actually been a couple seasons. The Leafs played Columbus in 2020 and then Montreal, but. Yeah. I mean, for the Leafs, they have to slay the, like their, their beast at some point. Right. And I'm not saying they will, but like that's, that would be how they have to view that. So can I tell you, can I tell you a really jerk fig I did over the holidays with regards to Tuka Rask? I went to a store, uh, doing some last minute Christmas shopping. I think it was at the Bay and they had a whole bunch of these, uh, these figures of uh, these NHL players. And there was, one of Tuka Rask uh, alone on a shelf, and I sent a photo of it to Steve Dangle, and I was like, this guy was a leaf. Would you want this as a late Christmas gift? He responded, Merry Christmas, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not bad. I wasn't trying know, to be mean. Do you know my best Tuka Rask story is that, yes. is that he is an avid tennis player when he's not playing hockey, and at some point he was in a bar in Finland and I can't remember the name of the Finnish professional tennis player, but a, a bet was launched that the Finnish professional tennis player could beat Tuka Rask playing with a frying pan and Tuka no. using a tennis racket. And I believe, I believe Tuka lost to him with the guy using a frying pan. And from what I know, the frying pan still hangs above the bar because it's no. like this sort of legendary <laughs> thing. And like what I love about Tuka, Tuka, first of all, I love Finns. Like I love Finns, like Finns from the outside. And obviously I'm being very general. Not every Finn is the same, but I think if we're, if we can speak in some generalities, just to illustrate the point, they tend to be kind of serious when you don't know them. But the minute you crack the veneer of a Finn, it's like 
the warmest, most like light. I mean, they can be dark people. Like they live in a dark place, right? Like they're, they're shaped by like in the winter, like there's almost no sun and like lots of parts of Finland. Like it's, it, it can be a tough life there. And like, they, they value this thing called Sisu, right? It's like, it's the Finnish word for like the spirit to like battle through hard things like a long, dark winter, but like they have this Sisu. S I S U C. Okay. I've, I've seen that before. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's, I don't have the perfect explanation, but it's, it's meant, it's something that like Finns value in themselves that, that they have this strength to get through hard things. Essentially. It's mm-hmm. a spirit, right? It's, it, you know, it's, it's a reminder that because they do live in a very intemperate climate and, you know, it's a challenge, right? There's no sunlight anyway, but there's like a great sense of humor among Finns. That's what I love. Like just, like can laugh at themselves more than anyone in the world and, or as much as anyone in the world that I've been around. And so like Tuka Rask always has had that kind of lighthearted can poke fun at himself. You've seen the clips from back in the days, like throwing his goalie stick after losing shut shootouts and stuff like, but he always can have a chuckle. And I think this is safe now. I mean, if, if not Jesse, you can cut this part out, <laughs> but a few years ago, when the Leafs and Bruins are playing a playoff series, uh, the Bruins did a, a media veil. So it's an off day in the series mm. at their hotel, like around noon. And so like we all, all the media went to the hotel. It's like second floor conference room, whatever. We do a media availability, come down to the lobby. And I look over in the lobby bar and there's Tuka Rask in the middle of a playoff series, like drinking like a vodka soda at the bar. And I'm like, what a badass! Like oh he's not hiding, God. right? Like the whole team no. management could walk by. I'm not yeah. saying he got hammered. But he's sitting there in the middle of a playoff series, like drinking like a vodka soda or something. Like I just He's enjoyed himself. Well, yeah. And I just think yeah. sometimes Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that's offside. I'm really not trying to say anything bad. Like I I thought like what a I don't ass. think that's offside. You just you just spot you spotted a guy hanging out. And guess what? I can't remember what year that was, but I do know the Bruins won the series because they've won a couple in a row against the Leafs. So, you yeah. know, Tuka performed well enough. He still did his job despite that one vodka soda on an off day. Two quick questions before we get to stick taps. Here's the first one. Which of these three teams will get their general manager first? Uh, The Vancouver Canucks, the Anaheim Ducks, or the Montreal Canadiens? Vancouver. You know, Jim Rutherford wants someone in place by February. You know, we're we're first week into January. I think the other two situations, you know, Montreal's got going now where they're starting to get permission needed. They're, They're starting their interview process over Zoom. You know, I guess it's possible that concludes within three weeks um you know in anaheim's case they've, they've built this sort of blue ribbon panel with scott niedemeyer and, and paul korea and a few other members of the organization that, that are going to sort of conduct that process like i think that they're more at the beginning stage so if i was to do a power rankings of likely order of play here i'd say vancouver's gm first montreal's gm second anaheim's third um you know that could change i mean i suppose the one thing that could change that is if two of those or two or all three of those organizations end up honing in on the same candidate. And that could change the urgency to a decision, but I actually don't sense that to be the case. Obviously there'll be some overlap in what they're talking about, you know, in in Vancouver, there seems to be at least an idea that Patrick Alvin is, is the favorite for that job. You might remember actually when Jim Rutherford left the Penguins, Patrick Alvin was briefly their interim general manager. He's been a long time, um, you know, scout and, and, um, you know, a key person in the Penguins organization. So someone Jim Rutherford got to know well. And so, you know, it's not to say he's got the job, but 
you know, I, I could see him ending up in Vancouver. You know, obviously we're talking about a French speaker, you know, being the, the general manager in Montreal. And so unless that French speaker happens to be Martin Madden, who works for the Ducks, and if the Ducks want to hire him, you know, that that could change the order. But, um, you know, that's how I see that going. But all three processes have started now. And so lots of interviews happening and exchanging of info. And I, I expect we'll get some clarity perhaps before the end of the regular season with all three situations. I'm still a bit surprised that Martin Madden wasn't uh, there was a list of candidates that were brought up for the Canadians job and Martin Madden wasn't there. So I was just presuming that he's more interested in the Anaheim job. Well, you know, I don't know his, the exact structure of his contract, but it's possible in season the Ducks don't want to give him the chance to have that conversation. <laughs> you know, and that's again, depending on what his contract language is, that in certain cases that's fully acceptable. I mean, because he's a key member of their front office. Let's say he's hired a month before the trade deadline, just for argument's sake by another team. I mean, that that's not a, a loss you want to have. Um, you know, just as sometimes a scouting director, like you're not going to let him go to another team in May, right before the June draft or this year it's a July draft. But, you know, so sometimes the timing of these things might dictate why that is. And, and look, it, there's nothing to say that Canadians won't wait until later on uh, until there's a time um, for him. We'll see. I, I get this. Montreal is the hardest one for me to handicap because I, I do think they're they're going to draw from a pretty large group of candidates. And, you know, it, they, they might hire someone that we're not even talking about. My point is, it's not guaranteed 100 percent to be Matthew Darsh, Roberto Longo, Daniel Breer. You know, the, there, there could be a, there could be a curveball in that situation, I think. And it could so, be Mark Denis. There are, I've heard people locally hype up Mark Denis. For people outside of Quebec who don't really know what he's been up to, Mark Denis, longtime NHL goaltender, uh, now works at LDS as uh, as an analyst. But he's been around a lot of uh, different franchises in the QMJHL, and a lot of people seem to respect his hockey acumen. I've heard his name being propped mm. up in, in local media circles as a genuine candidate for that job. And I believe his name was mentioned among some of the ones that are could be getting an interview. So I, I like that's a name if in terms of kind of out of left field that I think I would put him out there. <laughs> Useless trivia. Mark Denis was Canada's goaltender at the 2006 World Hockey Championship. And I only know this because I was the first major event I covered back for CP in Riga, Latvia. And I was a very, very green young reporter. And Mark Denis was a starting goalie. Brendan Shanahan was a captain of that team. 2006. You might have heard of their young um, guns line with Sidney Crosby, who is, I think, yeah, that was the end of his first season in the NHL. Patrice Bergeron mm -hmm. and Brad Boys. <laughs> Brad Boys. <laughs> Yeah, that's I mean, a what blast a, from the past. What a life experience for me. They got totally jobbed. Um, in in the anyway, I won't go through that. They they ended up they lost the bronze medal game, but yeah. they got jobbed in the semifinal against Sweden. Crosby literally went end to end off an opening faceoff in the third period, scored a goal, and while he was celebrating, a Swedish guy like cross checked him in the face, like actually. And like there was like no penalty. Anyway, it's a crazy game and Canada lost. And then they had to play the bronze medal game like 15 hours later. Like Canadian teams don't shop for bronze medal games as it is. But like, why was there not at least a day off? Anyway, it was a great okay. life experience for me. Uh, the coach of the team was Mark Habscheid. And he was very unhappy with something I did. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he didn't like about not. not I, it's nothing. It's just the sort of stuff that happens. But the way I'd covered one of the games, like something I'd written or something, 
I just remember the PR guy calling me in before the bronze medal game and being like, yeah, you might want to tread lightly here on this. Um, okay, future future episode tales from Riga Latvia. Oh man, I actually Chris have Johnson. another great story from there, but we'll say we'll, we'll save it for the future. Save that. Okay, the second question I wanted to bring up before stick taps: uh, Where are you ranking Kale McCarr's uh, wonder goal against uh, Chicago from earlier this week in terms of goal of the year candidates? I mean, we man. already have a pair from Connor McDavid. We have the Dishigan from Zegris and Sunny Milano. And now we have Kale McCarr turning on a dime, making Kirby Doc look like a like a fool, and then going forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand on Marc Andre Fleury and winning a game, winning a game in overtime. I don't know where to put it among those ones yet. I'm I'm gonna take the fifth on that. But do you know what remind that play like reminded me of like what a basketball play might be like, right? Like mm. shaking off his defender and then sort of driving the net. Um Going baseline. What an awesome! It was awesome. Like what a goal! But like that was what was cool about it. I mean, first of all, he's a defenseman, right? And I'm not saying. Look, there's been lots of skilled defensemen. We have. I mean, we just lived through Eric Carlson. Like him in his glory years was ridiculous. Drew Doughty. Like there's players. Even Mike Green. If you go far enough yeah. back, like Mike Green had a 31 goal season where in like 68 games or something. Like, and and I get some of that was power play driven and all that stuff, but like. He, we've seen lots of defensemen, I guess, with skill, but the way he like shakes off Doc and makes a move, like he's got what 14 goals, I think, at 25 games this year, 11 even strength goals. I mean, this is it's cool. It's like a player that's that's impacting the game in, in a way you wouldn't necessarily expect for like what the position he plays and all that. And that goal itself was outrageous. You know, I saw it everywhere too. Like it, it, you know, again, it's sort of like your dish again, like, like that, that starts to reach a bit beyond just the normal people that are interested in a hockey highlight. And so I don't know if it was, I don't want to do better there. Like, I know you want me to, but like, I can't, it's hard. There's all so different. I can't put it this way. It's in the top three. I just, I don't okay. know how to, I don't know how to order the three yet, but I, I, I can't think of anything that, knocks it out that we haven't talked about this year. And yeah, McCarr's having a season for the ages. Like, you know, I, I hate getting ahead of ourselves on awards voting. Like I feel like the media does that all the time, but yeah. I mean, it, between him and Hedman it could be an interesting Norris case, but I, I think, and there'll be some other guys there when it matters, but it, yeah, McCarr is the real deal. Uh, what a, what a player. All hail Kale McCarr. Yes, all sir. Right, let's get to, let's get to stick taps. Uh, do you want to start? Should I start? Uh, I think there are uh, quite a few. I mean, there are a few people I think are deserving of stick taps. I don't know if you had one of them in mind or if you had someone else in mind. Uh, I could get one off the uh, the schneid here if you want me to start. No, I think I'll give my tap to Chantal Maccabe, who is okay. uh, a trailblazer in, in media circles around Montreal, as you would know. You know, one of the first, if not the first female on air talent, I believe, covering sports and has been around a long time. Just the classiest lady ever. You know, I've gotten to know her well over the years professionally and, uh, you know, named the vice president of the Canadians, um, you know, communications department. I just think it's cool. I mean, I like when people try new things, you know what I mean? And, and certainly she's not the first sort of journalist slash reporter to jump in and do a communications role. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure she'll do great in that position. I was happy to, to see that announcement. So felicitations, Chantal. Pardon pour my crappy French. Um, but 
Um, yeah, just an awesome lady. I was happy to see that. And, you know, I think we should all remember because, you know, Chantel's getting somewhere near the back nine of her career. Uh, I won't make that decision for her, but it's, it's never, never too late to try new things. You can have a new chapter in your life. And, and I think, I think it'll be cool to, to see her in that role after many years at RDS, uh, you know, owning the beat there. For people who are not familiar with her work, this is somebody who has been around for over 30 years on Quebec, just reporting circles and sports media, uh, literally the most respected colleague on the Canadians beat. I've heard I've heard I've heard stuff about everybody else. But Chantal is someone I've heard like nobody disrespect amongst media colleagues, very little among fans. She's just somebody who just commands respect wherever she goes. So I too uh, would like to express my congratulations to her on uh, on her getting that opportunity with the Montreal Canadiens. Félicitations à vous, uh, Chantal. Uh, vraiment, vraiment cool à voir, uh, to see you get that job. It's really great to see her get Just that. Just put uh, me to shame with your French, you jerk. <laughs> French version, baby. Uh, my stick tap goes to Nadia Popovici, uh, the Seattle Kraken fan who notified a Vancouver Canucks equipment manager uh, of a cancerous mole on their neck earlier this week. I think they were just behind them on the bench. Uh, they noticed a mole on their neck. They wrote a message on their phone and tried to get their attention and let them know that there was something pretty dangerous. And I believe the Kraken and the, and the Canucks, uh, they came together and gave her some money to go. 10,000 bucks. Swords are med She's a med school student. What a story yes. this is. It's amazing. That's incredible. It's, it's one of the best stories from the NHL season so far. And uh, just, Wow, I, I I think this I, that's just incredible and and really a blessing that that was spotted the way that it was. So Nadia, you deserve the biggest of stick taps from us here because uh, that is an incredible incredible story. And bookends on today's pod because that's a human story, right? That's what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. That's that's something real that we can all identify with on a certain level and warms your heart. And it comes right at New Year's. What a perfect uh, what a perfect thing. I'm with you. So stick taps, Nadia. Absolutely. That's going to do it for our Thursday edition of the CJ Show. Very action-packed. A lot of juicy nuggets in terms of news to kind of delve through and go back into. I really enjoyed today's episode. I had a really good feeling today was going to be a good one, and I was not proven wrong. I hope you feel the same, CJ. Yeah, I loved it. It's uh, we're rolling, bud. New year, new us. Let's let's keep it going. <laughs> new year, new us, but also low key, same us in some ways, but also a lot of new us. Anyway, uh, join us on Discord, sdpn.ca. Click the link on the website page to join the Discord. Subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And it is not too early to get your questions in for Ask CJ. We will get them in for Monday's edition. And also, CJ will get some of them into his Inside the NHL column, which you can read at the Toronto Star. And subscribe to The Athletic, uh, because subscribing at The Athletic is pretty cool to do as well. Uh, for CJ, I'm Julian, saying so long and peace. Shout out Discord crew. Shout out the Discord crew. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK McKenzie.